The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songhezo Mapete on SAFM. Hello, Tessa. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you for having me. Let's talk commemorations. The importance of, if for nothing else, for history, for knowing we, as a people where we come from, understanding the dynamics of today in the light of those heroes whose lives over time we commemorate and celebrate, the importance of that just on its own. So it is absolutely important that we um, commemorate history, that we understand what happened in our past, um, that we understand um, what are the, the markers, particularly the kind of big milestones in our history that led to massive changes. And, of course, that those are often linked to um, individuals, they're linked to groups. But what we, we do need to um, think about way more critically is how we reflect on people in those stories. Because in as much as um, there are you know, some people who stand out, we also are the writers of history in many ways. We choose which people to single out. We choose which organizations to single out. And I think that um, when we do that, while we are highlighting a particular individual, we can also be making invisible other people in those stories. And so, yes, knowing history and understanding what happened is important, um, but it's also as important that we are as inclusive in the way that we um, speak about the people who made that history as we possibly can be, which is not always the case. Of course, there could be exceptions to that argument. I'm not suggesting this one should be the exception, but the name Nelson Mandela, of course, reverberates the world over, no less in South Africa, and specifically attached to the ANC. Now, what risk does the celebration of the name Nelson Mandela come at in the light, especially of the point you made about making others in the result invisible? I think Nelson Mandela is a great example of the reasons why it's dangerous to highlight one individual over um, an entire historical movement of people. Um, Nelson Mandela's prominence in, in, in the ANC, in the liberation movement, was a political tactic. We forget that um, there was a, a decision that was made by the ANC, particularly mm-hmm. as part of the liberation movement, that said we needed the name of a prisoner. We needed a leader that we could use to kind of galvanize the movement around. And that wasn't because Nelson Mandela was particularly you know, um, better, more interesting, more revolutionary, or anything than anybody anybody else. Um, It was about where the movement was at that point. It was about making tactical decisions. And um, Nelson Mandela's prominence then also became exacerbated or um, increased by the role that he then played in the negotiations, in, in the liberation negotiations themselves. And oftentimes, because he was the only person in the room sometimes, or he was the person who was asked to make the final decisions. But below that is many layers of unsung heroes, many layers of people who made Nelson Mandela's name big when Nelson Mandela was a prisoner without a face. Those people who lived through apartheid every single day, fighting against um, the, the, the oppressiveness of the system, trying to get the people like Nelson Mandela out of jail, are as important as a Nelson Mandela. So when we focus on the one figure, we then lose sight of the broader mm. mass movement that was required, the, the big sacrifices that needed to be made on a daily basis that was required for that one person to be able to shine. I want to read... Uh 
an excerpt from the Tabombeki letter to Jacob Zuma. This is now in 2008, immediately after the removal of the president, speaking particularly around the issue of cult personalities and the position the ANC took. In other words, paraphrasing what you're saying, but precisely from one who was well within the movement structures when the decision itself was taken. Open quote. In this regard, there were exceptional circumstances attached to Comrade Nelson Mandela, which were not of his making or will. In the context of the global struggle for the release of political prisoners in our country, our movement took a deliberate decision to profile Nelson Mandela as the representative personality of these prisoners and therefore to use his personal political biography, including the persecution of his then-wife, Winnie Mandela, dramatically to present to the world and the South African community the brutality of the apartheid system. In that context, then, how would we then be able to capture the essence of the figures around a particular figure or the period in which the figure or the figures were living in or the context of their story or struggle absent perhaps the singular profiling of a particular individual? For instance, police detention deaths in this country had been happening, but it was only after the death of Bantubiko that perhaps it was brought to the fore in the manner by which it was brought to the fore. People had been going to the gallows until Kalushi Mahlangu went to the gallows. So absent Mahlangu, Biko, possibly Mandela and others, how could we then engage that history in the and mass representative capacity without necessarily risking, if you will, the profiling of an individual? I think that there's a complacent laziness that's come into our history telling, um, especially given the, the richness and the longness of our history of oppression, struggle, um, and liberation. And if you look at, at, um, at other countries, I think about Germany, where I spent a bit of time, and really try to understand the ways in which they have um, taken their history and tried to memorialize it. And one of the things was that there were very few stories that were about an individual. Many of the stories were about communities. Many of the ways in which memorials were created were about, um, especially in the, in the context of Nazi Germany, where there aren't many figures. I mean, an Anne Frank stands out perhaps as one of those figures, but there aren't many Anne Franks. And so the ways in which they tell the stories is about particular locations, particular events, particular places, and the communities of people and what, what happened in those communities rather than starting with a single individual. And that requires a level of historical digging. It requires a level of storytelling that is, is textured and immense. And, and I think we, we kind of got complacent in South Africa with, you know, our few apartheid museum here, you know, a few um, monuments here and there. And then we just stopped telling our stories. And so many of the people who lived these stories in those communities are still alive today. I mean, even if we take something like the June 16 story, a few years ago, I got to spend um, the June 16 day with many of the, the students now, of course, senior citizens, who marched in 1976, who were able to tell their own accounts, who were able to explain things that the one museum, the Hector Peter, Peterson Museum, was not able to explain to us. So we have still the capacity to have those stories told, but I think we've taken a lazy approach. And maybe the second thing to say about it is, we must also be honest about the fact that there's been some political engineering about the way we do storytelling about our history in this country, in that the ANC has managed to dominate the narrative 
So just a few weeks ago, we were celebrating Human Rights Day. Mm -hmm. And we know that the PAC, for example, played a huge role in the Sharpeville massacre and the past um, protests. Yet their, their role is minimized because of the political dominance of the ANC and the narratives. And we must fight against that, not because we hate the ANC, but because we are losing something by allowing an ANC dominant narrative at the expense of other figures, other personalities, other stories and other versions of events to emerge. To what extent then would all of this be circumvented, if not circumvented, addressed by a history curriculum as well as social conscientization through institutions, by institutions, museums, statues, plays, particularly events around particular times to tell the broader story in support of the education curriculum. How would these then, if you will, advance essentially what you are saying without a particular name being made prominent? Or rather, if that is indeed a solution, how would a society like South Africa go about addressing it through these approaches? Yeah, I think what you raise is really important, especially because we have such um, great talents in our country when it comes to storytelling and the arts. Um, I think one of the things is our, our the, the book publishing space in our country and the ability to get people to write these stories. Um, I think there's a there's a growing market and a growing appetite for locally produced books, and I think there's an opportunity there. There's certainly... Um, in, in terms of the art sector, and I mean, in the last few weeks, we've been talking about the ways in which the art sector has not been given the kind of support by government that it should be. But I, I, I firmly believe that not only for this reason, but for many other reasons, that the art and culture sector in this country represents major economic opportunity. It represents major opportunities for, um, you know, carving out our own identity. So if we looked at a Nollywood, a, a Bollywood, a Hollywood, Part of why those industries are so successful is because it is a country or a nation of people who have decided to represent themselves and use that as an opportunity not only to build their brand, but to build their economy. And I think we should see it as that in the same way. See the, the sectors that we have, the young people that we have that are able to tell these stories um, and see them as an asset for our nation building, for social cohesion, um, and for being able to talk about difficult things. Our country has still a lot of difficult conversations that we need to have, especially around our past and our history and the way it still affects us today. And if we can do it in ways that are also productive, where we can generate um, things that will last and, and you know outlast us as a generation, I think we'll be all the better for it. Mm, we're taking calls on Johannesburg, 714-2006. This number is the usual number, not the number I was reading out yesterday. Johannesburg, 714-2006. Commemorating struggle icons and persons of historical importance. Perhaps a conversation as to how South Africa should and could go about doing that. Our guest this evening is academic and political analyst Ms. Tessa Dooms, who has previously been a Hashtag Tuesday takeover guest host, if you will. So please do engage us. We have about another 10 minutes left of this conversation. Tessa, let's talk about the fact that South Africa's history is contested in many respects and in many respects is divided, pre-94, post-94, as it were. In this regard, you have minority in number, but in many respects majority, the Afrikaner community, who to them, their heroes are known, 
in their schools, in their institutions that they built. Think of universities and all the statues around Stellenbosch, um, University of the Free State, Turkey's Northwest, Northwest. Think about the fact that there's even a town of Orania that would have many statues, not least of them, one of Hendrik Verwurt, who for the most part in South Africa should be referred to as persona non grata. But nonetheless, he is there and is a historical figure. How would we establish a national consensus in the light of our fractured past? Yeah, I mean, in the previous question, you, you asked about um, education, and I think education is a big part of that. Um, something that the apartheid government was very intentional about was using education as a tool for conscientization, and in their case, really propaganda. Um, and I think we need to we need to take a similar route. We need to think about not only what we're teaching in our history classes, but what we're teaching throughout our curriculum about um, economics and how we understand economics in this country, how we understand you know life orientation and you know the ways in which we think about things like race or class or gender. All of those things are things that we need, um, like you say, a national consensus around, and we can start socializing ourselves from a young age about what kind of country we were, what kind of country we never want to be again, and then, of course, most importantly, what kind of country we must we, we want to become. And we, we, we would do well to look at the way apartheid actually operated in that sense, and the reason why um, Afrikaner people are as adamant about culture in the way they are right now. Because the, the whole way in which apartheid was constructed was a defense of a cultural identity and an economic position. And so they built apartheid around a particular narrative, a narrative about Africana um, culture, superiority, dominance. And it, it was in many ways an invented one. You know, they invented heroes, they invented ways to, to, you know, to posture so that they looked a particular way. And now we have to, number one, challenge some of those narratives. Number two, we need to build a, a consensus around how we bring everybody's stories to the same level and then start thinking about the future together as a country. I don't think we've, we've done the work um, that social cohesion requires, which is a social compacting process, where we say, what are the things about us that we actually need to challenge? What are the things about us that we actually need to maintain and grow and build? We haven't done that in many facets of our country, in many facets of our society. And I think the sooner we get beyond the kind of mythology stuff, the Rainbow Nation mythology, and, you know, we can use sports to unify, and we're just looking for these saviors and mythical moments. And we start doing the hard work of having the conversations about, you know, you know contesting and challenging each other and finding common ground. That's how we get there. Um, but to just say, you know, we, we're going to hope that we're all going to feel differently and we're going to have the right kind of emotion is the wrong way to do it. What the apartheid government did was they were intentional about the message that they put out, the education that they put out, and the ways in which they structured society to act accordingly. Yeah, lovely thoughts coming through from Ms. Tessa Dooms. From what you were saying, I could only just think of TRC, TRC, TRC. The work of the TRC is not complete. Let's take calls nonetheless, though, because we are running out of time in this order. Romeo, KZN, Aisha, Uppington, Eddie in Edenvale. Good evening, Romeo. Uh, good evening, brother. How are you this evening and well, your guest? Indeed, we are well. Go for it. Uh, thank, thanks for picking up my call. I just wanted to ask your guest. Uh, she is right on point, but you said the more. 
Well, isn't it not that uh, from generation to come, we want to understand uh, where we where we where and the where we come from? Because remember, all of us. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Romeo. I can't hear you. Um, your line is not great. Lesejo is going to get back to you. Um, let's please move on. We we are hopeful to get you back, but we won't persist with a bad line. Aisha, good evening. Good evening, Songheza, and good evening to Tessa. I have not much to comment on this conversation because Tessa, whenever she comes on the radio, is exactly what I think. <laughs> I agree with her about arts and culture. Uh, Songheza, I just wanted to tell you that I didn't sleep last night. I've been upset the whole day. I'm only beginning to feel better now that you're on the radio because of the topic of last night. That what? is a very emotive topic. We okay, were talking about... No, what were we talking about yesterday? Which topic upset you? We were talking about apartheid and um, reparation. Oh, yes, and yes, yes. The things that, that must be done. Yes, yes, of course. Yes, of course. This, well, okay. this theme is broad. Thank you so much, Aisha. Much appreciated. Okay, and bye. thanks for persisting with us. Good night. Good night indeed. Eddie in Edenville. Wonderful, fascinating show and topic as usual. And hello to Tessa. You know, I agree 100%. Uh, the, the, to, 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 the heroes that we, that we celebrate should be far more balanced across the, the, the spectrum. There are so many wonderful people and the ordinary people in South Africa that contributed to the freedom. I mean, you look at Steve Beaker. All he had was named of, uh, named after a hospital and a little statue outside the East London City Hall. A great man like that. Now, probably where we went wrong, initially, uh, you know, after freedom, after 1995, uh, we there should have been a sort of neutral panel that decided which heroes to to commemorate across the. the the spectrum, name changes and so on, not this piecemeal thing every five years uh, to changing to different names, just do it once off like they did in Zimbabwe and, and so on. Perhaps even a group, uh, you know, statue showing the people of South Africa, not just everything is, is, is Madiba, Madiba, Madiba. But one thing I feel a bit sorry about is, the, is our white population. I mean, a guy like Mark Newlands, who's his hero? They must be very jealous. I mean, they say, cometh the hour, cometh the man. Well, they, in our time of need, we produce so many. The Helen Josephs, the, uh, you know, right across the, 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 the PAC, ANC. Now, who is the white hero here? For Brut? Who do they celebrate? The closest they came to is Helen Sussman, and she wasn't even, she was very imperfect too. She didn't even believe in universal uh, uh, adult suffrage. She, she believed in the qualified franchise. She was a bit racist. But anyway, uh, I just thought I'd chuck my two cents worth, and I love your show. All the best, and thanks very much, Sengeza and Tessa. Bye. Thank you so much, Eddie in <coughs> The gauntlet has been thrown to you there, Mike, in Newlands. Who's your hero? We are very certain you are raring to go. Lesejo, please look out for Mike's call. I will take it at any time which it might come. Let's go to KGM. KGM, good evening. Tell us where you are. 
Good evening, Songezo. Good evening to your guest and to to my fellow listeners. Kikobotokwa. I'm not sure if you you would understand that. Botokwa ikai. This is in Limpopo. Oh, more Limpopo than that. Yes, ma'am. Utsamaya neng mo is King Williamstown. This morning. Okay. Utsamaya shwa. Not the militia. Okay, sharp. Who won that? Okay. Yes. You're taking chances there, KGM. <laughs> I got I can you. Hear you. I can hear you taking chances. Hey. <laughs> this is doing a good job. I can hear. Go for it, man. <laughs> okay. Look, we, we we talk about state capture. I think we, we have a country capture. The country has been captured by the people who want us to feel uh, almost be apologetic that they claim to have given us freedom on a silver platter. Most of the people who fought for the freedom, people who were here, your guest said something very fundamental. You know, this over-hulation and exaggeration of certain figures within the political uh, uh, scene, the likes of uh, former uh, former President Nelson Mandela and the list goes on, it can't be further than the truth when you compare with the likes of Mamouini, people who were here, who didn't go to exile, who didn't go to perceived prison. Uh, and of course, with due respect to the people who have been to prison, but I think the, the people who, who really suffered are the ones who lost their lives. And of course, pockets of those who show how they've been tortured, how they've been... Uh, traumatized uh, families that were, 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 you know, divided and so forth. But the point that I'm making, Songa, is that, you know, we can blame politicians all we want. Um, they do this because we allow them. We gave them the impunity. They, they, in the beginning, they tested the waters. We chickened out. Now they are in control. They, they are in charge, not because they wanted to, but because they realized that we surrendered our freedoms to them. So when we, we, we come up and, and, and talk, we should remember that we also had the opportunity to do the, the same. My parting shot with the previous caller. Mm. It's very interesting to hear most of, of can I uh, use the race tag, most, most white people who claim they were also liberators and so forth. But they are still staying in Stellenbosch and the suburban areas of this country. They still stay in mansions when people are, are staying on top of each other. And they see nothing wrong. I ask Songhez as I go, when people say they have contributed and they, 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 they really see what this country, how the destruction has, has happened, when people in, in all these squalors that we have in the country sleep without a meal, Yet we wake up in Santin and everywhere else, and we claim that we have a freedom, we have a free country, we have a democratic society. KGM, I, I ask myself, what, what is offensive about? about that? What is offensive about that? I'm sorry to indulge you, and sorry, Tessa, for sort of just keeping you on the loop, I mean, on the line here. Yeah. I'm, I'm asking this question. This is the real question. This is the real question. Sorry about that. I, I yeah. am chasing the utopia of a good life. Yes. But... If I do that together with what I believe is good for the broader society by opening up opportunity, 
and access to resources and space and information that the next person, if they were to utilize however they might choose to do so for themselves, could in time, with luck, with opportunity, with sponsors and the like, achieve their utopia. Does I mean, what, what, what's wrong with that? Put differently, must I sacrifice my comfort for the sake of the masses? And I'm not talking about the inequality that South Africa has. That is obscene, no doubt. But I'm just talking about it in the general sense. Mm-hmm. I, I understand that not all of us are and not all of us will be philanthropic mm. in our nature. But mm. when you look at the structure of our political rhyme and past, it was rather too soon to be talking billionaires who are at the expense of the overwhelming majority. People who are in the civil servants, or rather civil service, and, and they are doing what you are talking about at the expense of the people. If it's Songhez or who works at SABC and he uses his uh, earnings in a way that he, he gets that life that you are talking about, but it's not at the expense of the overwhelming majority who happen to be the poor and the... And the I and like the that qualifier. Sorry, I'm going to have to move on. For so long as it Lovely. doesn't happen at the expense of. I think that's critical. Absolutely. We appreciate that. Absolutely. KGM, with your indulgence, let me move on, please, very quickly. Romeo is back in KZN. Once again, thank you very much. Again, um, I don't know, my network was not good. Maybe this time you can hear me properly. We can. Okay. I was about to say, I mean, uh, following um, your caller before KGM, brother KGM, uh, he spoke very well. I mean, hearing such kind of those words from a different race, if I could have heard him, uh, his accent, I think it's from the family of wise or from the family of India. But however, people like that, uh, they need to be encouraged and to be supported because bringing such kind of those ideas that we have got so many national heroes that have fought for this country, which I believe that if we can declare having a place of national heroes acre, then we can also build the stages of, look at 1976, the Chapel and all those kind of things that has happened during that time. And in about 20 years to come, Children will be today who are twenty and uh, who are ten years today, and they will be still remembering where we come from. And I believe from the Department of Arts and Culture, or if I'm correct, should you start thinking about that? If there is a need for the extension or furthermore on the Constitution to come um, uh, for, uh, for the aspects of the Constitution, uh, many uh, for our laws. Uh, to come together and think about a place of where we can commemorate each and every time and uh, people need to go and see all those statues and say, this is Comrade so-and-so who was killed after this and this, this one and this one. I think that would help us and that would keep us from always remember where we came from. Very well. Thank you so much, Romeo and KZN. Thank you so much for your thoughts, and thank you as well to you, Tessa, for the patience. The callers have had their say. Now it's yours. Yeah, I think maybe just two um, responses. One is that we must remember this is not about celebration. It's about commemoration. Celebration is something that we do to feel good. Commemoration is something that we do to learn and reflect.
And I think in this country we're doing way too much celebrating, especially when we have so little to celebrate, and way too little learning and commemorating for the purposes of um, really thinking about what it is that we learn from these moments and what it is that we can take forward. And then um, the second point is maybe just to to, to latch onto the point that um, you are asking your, your caller about. Part of the concern that I've had around this, uh, around a similar issue is what our aspirations are based on. And I think that we need to, again, it's part of this national conversation about our identity and who we are. You know, are we a country that's striving to be a country of sentence? Or is there another set of values and aspirations that can drive what we think a good life is? Um, I think it was Stephen Friedman who made the argument that a lot of what's happening with inequality in our country today is that what what black South Africans and um, as, as people who've been oppressed in this country, what we now strive for is to live the quality of life that white South Africans lived during apartheid, not realizing that it came at the cost of great inequality. And so I think that we, we've continued down that path and continued with that level of inequality where Santon is the standard, but we haven't reflected on whether that's even the values by which we want to live. And that's why I think it links into this conversation well, because this is a conversation about national identity, who we are and who we want to be. And for as long as we have superficial um, understandings of celebration and superficial understandings of what um, these moments and milestones mean, we're losing out on the opportunity to, to do actual nation building. Talking about nation building, there are those who have done their bit in history. One of those persons is one Charlotte Matlake, born today 150 years ago. To the extent that we can commemorate her life and take teachings from it, what then should be the takeaway from this conversation? I think um, if you think about the person of a, of a, child, a Charlotte Matlake, um, one of the things that we need to think about is gender equality and um, whether or not we still have Charlotte McCrackers here today having to struggle and having to fight to get access to education, to get access to, um, you know, positions where they can have authority, where they can live the kind of life that they want to live. And because they're black and a woman, they're being denied that. The fact that we are still in that situation for many young black women in this country, that she was almost at the beginning of the previous century, is something that should give us pause. Um, and that's what I mean, the difference between celebrating and commemorating. Mm-hmm. We should actually be saying to ourselves, how far have we come since she made that breakthrough? And if we've not come far enough, we should actually you know, sit down, take stock and ask, how Absolutely. do we make the, the breakthrough that she made an actual reality for young women today? Fantastic. Always on point. Thank you so much for your time, Tessa Dooms. It was good having you. Um, having having been on the platform. We appreciate it always. Thank you so much. Tessa Dooms, political analyst, academic, and the National Planning Commission representing the interests of young people. 2043 is the time after the break. We continue. The conversation then will be ethical practice in the estate agency sector.